Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Park Road Books, the oldest and only independent bookstore in Charlotte, and by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence. Support is also provided by members like you, and for that, we offer our gratitude along with some awesome member-only content. You can find out more about these member benefits at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Welcome to this Under the Covers episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words. This is the Friday version of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where host Landis Wade and his author guests get under the covers. That's right. We get in and out because there are just too many interesting books and engaging authors in the region and not enough time. And just like the longer version of the show, you'll learn interesting facts about the authors and their books, and the authors will read their work. And also, like the longer version, you will find images, links, and information about the authors in the show notes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. We are a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network, a uh, collection of Charlotte podcasts produced in and centering around the Queen City, and also a proud member of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, broadcasting radio shows and podcasts about authors to a worldwide audience. I'm Landis Wade, the producer and host of this podcast. I'm a recovering trial lawyer. I'm the author of a trilogy of books where lawyers save Christmas, kind of a cross between My Cousin Vinny and Miracle on 34th Street, and I write stories, and I love books, and I love dogs, and I love beaches and mountains and fly fishing and sports and reading and more, and I also love getting under the covers with my authors. So let's get to it. Hey, listeners, welcome to this uh, Under the Covers uh, edition of Charlotte's Podcast. I'm here today with uh, Molly Grantham, uh, and we're talking about her book, The Juggle is Real, The Off-Camera Life of an On-Camera Mom. This is a memoir. It's published uh, in May 2020. It picks up where her first memoir, Small Victories, left off and carries the reader through the ups and downs of life and death in the world of a very busy broadcaster and her family. The Huffington Post says of this book, Molly Grantham's authenticity as a mom and a fallible human being shines through every one of her pages in this compelling collection of parenting essays. Molly, welcome to the show. Oh, Landis, thanks for having me. I love yeah. this. Yeah, and so congratulations on the book, yeah. The, the, Thank the second, you. Uh, the second book, yeah. Um, and I suppose congratulations also, uh, we need to to be said, is uh, about uh TikTok. You want to tell people who TikTok is? <laughs> uh, it's it's my third surprise baby. Yeah. <laughs> he's um, coming. I mean, due dates July, mid July, but he's pretty big already, so he might be early. But so yeah, we're on the way. Yeah. So when this episode releases in August, uh, you'll have uh, a family of uh, five, right? Yeah. Oh, that's exciting! I didn't realize yeah. we're releasing in August. Yeah. So that that's mm-hmm. where I'll be um, a complete and utter disaster mess, holding a full week old and having two other kids and wanting to pull my hair out. Yeah. Yeah, so we're, we're we're in that countdown phase now, right? So we are in the countdown phase. Yeah, and uh, you know you're all about meeting deadlines, Molly. You do it in your 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 work. You're, you're a broadcaster. You got broadcast book baby. Maybe that's the title for your next book. You know, <laughs> broadcast book baby. But uh, you got deadlines here. You had a deadline coming in July with the with the baby. You've got a deadline to get this book out. Uh, you're still on air. You know, dealing with. Uh, you know, protests and things of that nature. So uh, is the juggle even more real at the moment? I think the juggle is more real at the moment. That's a very accurate thing for you to say. And, you know, you can't always 
plan everything. I certainly can't plan headlines or COVID-19 or protests and um, social justice issues in America, but I, I can try and plan as best I can. But lately there's been zero, zero ability to um, plan for anything. I can't even plan when to get the nursery done because I have a home studio from WBTV in my house. And so it's in an office and all the office furniture had to go to the room that would be the nursery. So the nursery's filled with office crap and I can't get that out of there to, to make the nursery. So if the baby comes, I don't know where he's going to go. Um, so there's just not a lot of planning right now. Yeah. Well, I can see an entire chapter in your next book devoted to where we're going to put the baby. You know? Where are we going to put the baby? <laughs> yeah. Live yeah. in the home studio. Where does the baby go? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, all right. A little bit about you real quickly. Uh, you're a two-time Emmy award-winning journalist. You've been named TV news reporter of the year for both Carolinas, uh, one of Charlotte's top 40 under 40 and one of Mecklenburg County's 50 most influential women, uh, you know, stack that up against uh, a mom juggling all this stuff. And, uh, I would suspect that the mom category probably takes more energy than some of these other things. You suspect right. You <laughs> suspect right. Uh, and, and people who follow you um, on the TV news know that you're the anchor of WPTV's 5.30 p.m. news and solo anchor of the 11 p.m. show, but that's changed a little bit during the lead-up to your, to your third child, right? Well, it's still the same. I'm still co-anchoring the 530. Um, I'm just, I'm at home because being pregnant, I am high risk. And so for COVID-19, obviously, when you're high risk, there's some extra precautions you should take. And BTV has been, like most companies around, you know, the country, been very, very cautious in keeping people out and remote working and finding home solutions. And so one of the solutions was to get me out and get plenty of our newsroom out earlier on when there was more people there, you know, we've got 13 live shows a day and they start in the afternoon at 3 p.m. So when you have a 3 p.m., 4 p.m., 5, 536, 7, 730, you have more people. Um, and so to get me out and have me in this home studio that that our chief photographer came over and set up, uh, I'm not technologically adept. So I just press on basically and fired up and then go live at 530 just from here while Jamie Bowles in the studio. And then at 11, there's only four or five of us now. We've just whittled it down to so few people out of risk and caution. And then um, I can go in there and feel safe and the station feels safe having me there. So I'm still one foot in, one foot out. I'm home studio at 530 and I'm BTV studio at 11. There you go. All right. So since arriving in Charlotte in 2003, you've covered everything from gangs to terrorism to the fight to legalize cannabis oil. And now we're dealing with racial and social justice issues and protests. And, you know, you've been actively involved in your community here as far as cancer goes because of how that uh, disease has personally affected your, your own family with your father and mother uh, succumbing to cancer. So my question, how is writing about your life and the life of your family helped you deal with that sort of broad range of difficult subjects? I think writing is just something I like to do and it's my thing. And some people like music or want to learn to play the guitar or want to learn a different language. Um, some people just like getting in a truck and driving with the windows down, you know, on country roads. I, I like to write and it doesn't always think, I don't always think what I write is good. I don't always want people to see it. I have plenty of things that never go anywhere. <laughs> Endless documents that are half-written stories that, that end up nowhere. But for me, it just kind of helps me stay sane. It declutters my mind and gives me a place to be just myself with a Word document or even just 
slips of paper I find when I have thoughts come in my head. And I love reading. I love that you have this podcast. Um, I love that just is sort of what speaks to me and different things speak to different people, but that's what speaks to me. Yeah. And you're, and you're writing, you know, these books about your family, they're memoir related, uh, could be parenting, but we'll talk about that in just a second. But you're also writing for your job. I mean, you're writing, I assume you are, you're not, not everybody oh, writing. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So uh, different, different kind of writing. It is a different kind of writing, although I feel like my personal writing has bled more into how TV writing is, and it's shorter, it's staccato, it's um, descriptive in ways that you could see it without having to have the visual, but having a visual would help. Like, I use pictures in this book because I am so used to using visuals. I'm not a newspaper reporter, I'm a television journalist, and so there's images that are attached to what I write. I'm doing a lot of editing every night of reporter scripts and just cutting, cutting, cutting things down to a time with a deadline. And so when I end up writing, even when I have as many words as I want with as many pages as I wanted, I end up naturally out of habit over, you know, 20, I don't even know how many years I've been in, in TV journalism, 20 some years, 25 years. Um, I end, Not 25, maybe 23. But anyway, I end up um, just sort of having that as a habit. And it's not this beautiful literary prose that goes on endlessly. It is more right at you in your face. <laughs> and my writing has turned, my personal writing has turned more into TV writing. I almost fear because I think they could, I would have room to be different. And yet you do what you know. And every day I'm working eight to 10 hours a day and that's what I'm doing. So when you sit down to do your own thing, it just naturally sort of feels similar at this well, point. Well, I've interviewed uh, journalists on the show who've written books and, and I, d- I do think there's a discipline there that comes with your craft, uh, kind of like lawyers too. I always talk about how I need to learn not to write like a lawyer, but at the same time, what you're doing, you're learning to be uh, direct. You're learning to write in concise ways to get to the point uh, uh, although in literary fiction they don't always get to the point if we're going if we're going there, but you know you do you do draw a lot from what you do, and and so that kind of leads us right into the book itself. Uh, but before we get under the covers, I want to talk about the book cover. The juggle is real on the cover here. Do you have Do you have your book there with you? I do have my book uh, here. All right, so let's talk about the book cover. They can't see it. They'll see it in the show notes, but they can't see it now. So tell us uh, what we're looking at. I'm particularly curious about. Uh, this image of you—you're actually juggling some things. Let's talk about the thing. Let's talk. Let's talk about the things you're juggling because I think it, it speaks to the book itself. Okay. So, and then there's a backstory on this cover. If okay. I can tell you and make you roll your eyes over. Um, so the cover, I'm standing there and I'm juggling stuff. Not you know, typically you juggle balls up in the air. This is juggling stuff. So on one hand, I have my four to five inch heels that I end up wearing every day. And in the other hand, I have flip flops. And then around me is a laptop with uh, Facebook pulled up. And then the first book, Small Victories, and then a pink ribbon. And then above the pink ribbon is Lammy, my uh, now five-year-old's favorite precious stuffed animal. And then next to Lammy are a pair of pink winter earmuffs. And then next to that are a bunch of Legos. And then under that is a portrait of um, our dog, Fisher, who passed away last June. He, we had to put him down. And then the, then he ended up meeting my other hand, which was the flip-flop. And then beneath me is Parker, my daughter, holding on to our rambunctious new puppy. 
who's 60 pounds and full of energy. And then next to her is Hutch, my son, uh, with all of his accessories. He's a boy that likes accessories. <laughs> Gloves, he has a Spider-Man glove on, a backwards hat, a big work pass around his neck, sitting in his ice cream truck that Santa brought, um, I guess, a year and a half ago now. Yeah, now this is great because when I first looked at the cover, having not read the book, I didn't pay as close attention to the items that were in the air. But after I read it, I started to see, because you use Facebook to kind of write this book, and then you included responses from people on Facebook. I did. I thought that was really important in the first book, and I liked how that felt so much when I went back to look at it, that I did it in the second as well. Because it's, you know, it's my memoir, it's my story, but I... I don't think it's about just me at all. And when I put these things on Facebook, when I write about real life on Facebook, the community has just really helped move me through. I mean, people that read them, whether they agree with whatever I'm saying or not, isn't the point. They're responding and you're hearing other people's stories. So it's kind of like we're all juggling different details, but living a similar relatable life and getting to connect with people through Facebook has been a real joy, truly. And so to keep some of the comments, ones that disagree with me, ones that agree, some of the poignant ones, some of the ones that um, have moved me through and helped me, strangers through Facebook, helping me through tough times with kids or life, um, felt right. It felt right to include and make it more of a community effort. All right. Were you ready to get under the covers? Okay. Hey, listeners, we'll be getting under the covers in just a moment. But first, I'd like to thank our episode sponsor, Carrie Knowles. She's the 2014 North Carolina Piedmont Laureate for Short Fiction. Carrie is an award-winning writer of books and stories who also helps writers with their craft. Her latest gift to writers comes in the form of a book published by Al Canyon Press called A Self-Guided Workbook and Gentle Tour on Learning How to Write Stories from Start to Finish. I read it, and I plan to read it again because I'm sure it will make me a better writer. Find out more about Carrie and how to get her writing book at cjanework.com. That's C-J-A-N-E-W-O-R-K.com. Also, if you'd like to support your uh, favorite local independent bookstore and get audiobooks at the same time, uh, you can join libro.fm. That's L-I-B-R-O.fm. And if you use the promo code Charlotte Reader, that's all one word, may not be from Charlotte, but you can still be a Charlotte reader to get this benefit. When you use that promo code, you're going to get uh, two books for the price of one when you join at uh, Libro's $14.99 monthly membership level. This is a great way to support uh, your local independent bookstore and get uh, great audiobooks uh, at the same time. So check it out. All right, so we got this book. It's called The Juggle is Real. Um, the genre, I asked you about that before the show, and you said, well, parenting, I guess. But then you also said, could be classified as humor or life. And I guess my question is, it's sort of fair to say that you're not really dispensing advice as much as you are being honest about your own experiences and maybe through that, hoping that people will be able to relate themselves. Oh my gosh. The last thing I am is a parenting expert. I have zero advice about parenting. I'm just trying to get through each day. It's a matter of survival. So there is zero advice or platform. I think where anyone should ask me about how to parent. So yeah. I agree with you fully. There's no dispensing of advice. It's yeah. whoo, someone help us. Yeah. <laughs> and let's talk about the structure and the flow of the book, because uh, it is different in the sense that um, you can pick it up and it's a quick read. You have pictures, you have the Facebook feedback from people. I assume you had to go get a bunch of permissions and 
I actually didn't because my Facebook page is a um, public site. Okay. It's okay. a community page. And so, and I only use first names and last initials. So I'm not identifying fully on people. Good. Um, yeah. So it was just, if you're pasting on my page, you know, it's public. Yeah. And so you, you draw all that in, you've got the pictures, you've got the, the, the chapters, the text, but you're moving through chronologically and you're following your life, starting with, you know, being in the hospital room with your mother when she's dying of cancer um, and then ending the book with the birth of your third child. And I was just curious. Well, not birth, not yet. <laughs> announcement, <laughs> surprise announcement. Holy moly, I'm pregnant. Oh, that's right. Uh, and so I guess what I'm saying is if you look at those two extremes of that journey from the hospital room to the surprise, surprise, we're having our third baby. Um, how have those two events and all the chapters in between affected your outlook on life? Wow, it's a heavy one because obviously being in the hospice house with mom affects my life in different ways than becoming a mom. So it is very full circle. And I started writing the first book in the hospice house with mom. It's where that one ended. And so then it seemed a natural place for this one to begin there. But it was going back a couple of years and having to really dig deep and add a lot. I mean, just this book is not Facebook posts. This book is the shell of it, the chronological order to help me remember what happened each month is from Facebook. And I went back as research, but I've added and expanded and written much more as a book as opposed to Facebook. So to dig back and remember mom's death and those feelings of the hospice house and seeing her death through my own children's eyes was really difficult. And then, you know, it's obviously something you don't plan on. She had battled breast cancer. This was her second go round, and this one was very, very fast. We've been given a timeline and it ended up being only three weeks, which was far short of the timeline. So you don't plan on that. Life is full of surprises. And then at the end of the book, oh, life's full of surprises again, but it's a different type of surprise. It's obviously death versus life. And um, I, I think the theme of that is the surprise of it all. And you can't plan for everything, which I actually address in the afterward um, because I ended up announcing this book during COVID-19. So no one plans for that, right? And life is just a series of events that sometimes you know about and sometimes you just have to roll with. Yeah, you actually push us back to the beginning of the book with the uh, epigraph when you talk about that particular uh, point. Uh, I think the epigraph uh, talks about there's no goddess of surprise, but there should be. None of us knows what's next, right? None of us do. Yeah. None of um, us do. You didn't know what the situation with the mother. You didn't know with your child that will be born by the time this comes out. <laughs> uh, it, will, it will have a name other than Tic Tac, I presume. Yeah. Right. Tic Tac right now is, you know, we know it's a boy, but originally we didn't. So it was a non-gender specific and implied tiny. So I thought that's good. <laughs> Let's stick with Tic Tac. <laughs> Okay, so, uh, you know, memoir telling is a lot about truth telling, and you were telling a lot of truths in this book. Um, did you have to make some decisions about what truths you were going to include and which ones you're going to leave out, or are you just naturally an, an open person, an open book when it comes to your life? No, I'm not naturally open, but I've turned into more open since doing this, since having kids, since starting writing about them. I didn't write about Parker, who's now nine, um, when she was born. In fact, I pretended I basically never had a child and ignored it and didn't want to be looked at differently. I still wanted to be this hard journalist that was a dog on a boat on a story and changing lives and 
had this baby and I put out like maybe two pictures in the first year and a half of her life, you know, and then with the second, it was so, I, I couldn't fool myself anymore. You know, I couldn't ignore that. I loved Parker and I loved being a mom, but I just didn't want to make that public. And, but I, I could still sort of cover up that I had this real life versus the TV public life and journalism life. And so with the second child, that all went, uh, went up in smoke and two babies, you can't really, you gotta, you gotta dig in and own it and say, this is where I am. And yes, I can be a career woman, but I can also love my kids fully, wholly and, and unconditionally. And I have to make some changes. Well, so, that came through clearly in your book. I mean, if what Parker didn't get in the early years, she more than made up for in the juggle is real. <laughs> she, yes, she, sorry, girl. <laughs> she she got a lot of attention in the in the juggle is real and some great, great photographs of both her and Hutch. Uh, although I think Hutch is gonna come back later and say, Mom, why'd you make me such a troublemaker in this book? You know He is a yeah. troublemaker. He's a five year old little boy. He's yeah. a total troublemaker. All right, but here here's my first scoop question. There are all these great pictures of you and your kids and everything, but your husband Wes, he seems to have escaped you know, photo photography and much mentions. Have y'all got some kind of pack there that you're going to leave him alone? And you're yes, basically. That's intentional. He <laughs> uh, it all the time. He's a, an amazing husband. He's a great dad. He's my rock. He's everything. But um, he is just, that's one of the things when you said, are you an open book? I have turned into more of one, but it has made us both feel sort of just for security and safety and keeping something private. Um, I'm pregnant on the news. I'm big as a house. Everybody knows I'm going to have babies. The Child Observer came in the first, you know, each time I had them and announced it. And that's all fine. So I understand people know I have the kids and I'm proud of them to shout them from mountaintops. But um, to keep something private, whatever that is, um, everybody can make their own choices on what sure. they want to publicly. But for me, it's him. Um, and mention him. And certainly, you know, his name is Wes. But it's not like, and here he is, and here he is, and this is what he does, and here's how you can find him, and that, 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 that. he prefers right. that. <laughs> yeah. All right, before we get uh, to your reading here, I just want to, I have to look at page 276 here with you, because uh, I wrote three Christmas books um, about lawyers who save Christmas, and, uh, you know, when I saw this page, I was just so uh, intrigued, because it's, uh, I think it's Parker's uh, Letter to Santa Claus, right? Yes. And there yeah. are three, there's three things in there. Number one, she starts off with a Chromebook. Yeah, we got to have a Chromebook. And and then uh, number two, family puppy. But here's the here's the catch: just make sure it's playful, right? Right, right. <laughs> just make sure it's playful. My daughter is very specific. She does not miss a beat. Yeah. So I like number three because the plot in my third Christmas book has to do with the reindeer hoverboard, and uh, yeah, Parker has asked here for a new hoverboard. So you know, we got something in common there. Yeah. She um. <laughs> During coronavirus, has learned how to ride that all around the house. So uh, <laughs> there we are. Well, the one in my book flies, so she'll have to look forward to that. <laughs> all right, so we got a little reading here from the book you're going to do. It's uh, it's out of a chapter where you're trying to balance, I think, uh, your life as a broadcaster with your life as a parent, and you you miss out on some things you talk about in the book, and that is everything from a certain point of the day until later, after-school activities and things of that nature, right? So here you're getting a chance maybe to do something a little different. Uh, it's called Cast Dinner. You want to just, whenever you're ready, you can start reading. I will. I'll start reading. Okay. Cast Dinner. The juggle is real. That's not a typo. I don't mean struggle. It's a juggle, period. There is no way to accurately describe the balls a parent keeps up in the air when they have a career and raise kids. 
many of you understand. It's a constant rotation of trying to catch one ball, quickly deal with whatever that ball is, then tossing it back up so you have a hand free to catch whatever ball is next heading down. Some days you drop a few. That's okay. You learn to accept. You have to because the reality is you can't do it all. You can try, but you'll never be able to hold all the balls at once. So you learn. You adjust. You switch back and forth. You realize one day might be 95% filled with juggling balls that deal with family and life and only 5% job. And the next day filled 90% with balls about your work and only 10% with the rest of your life. So you pick one ball in given moments and the next day or week, another one gets your attention. Some balls, especially if you work an odd shift like 2 p.m. to midnight, you leave on the ground permanently. Like for me, the ball labeled parent involvement in after school activities. Through all this, you keep going, keep juggling and catching and tossing back up to focus on the next thing coming. You do this because that is the only way to keep the entire act in motion. And I love, Molly, that in the background we can hear some uh, activity from the kids. Oh, you can right now. I was writing them with their lives. It's quiet, so I'm sorry. No, no, no. That's, that's perfect. It's perfect for this uh, for this episode, yeah. Uh, but this... You, you describe in here something that uh, it must give you pause at times, and maybe it's going to be harder as the kids get older and they start in get, being in you know, whatever they may do in extracurricular activities, whether it's sports or, you know, drama or theater. It could be any number of things, and, and you might have to miss some of that. Have you thought about that? I have. I have, Landis. I've thought a lot about it. And at this point, my kids feel loved and they are completely aware I work at night and I don't put them down at night. Their dad does. And we FaceTime from the newsroom every night and that's how we say good night. Yeah. And so, you know, they are not deprived. They don't feel deprived. They don't act deprived. They are very lucky, blessed children. And I feel very lucky and blessed to have my job and them. So, you know, if for some reason they started reacting differently and resentful and felt deprived and I felt like I was missing out on too much, you know, I could reassess it. But for now, um, at nine and five and, you know, almost with the third, we're, we're being able to handle a two to 2 PM to midnight mommy shift. Yeah. And if they need to, if they need to see mommy, all they could do is turn on the TV, right? Well, sometimes, I mean, I don't know how much I want them to see, but yeah. Exactly. 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 Well, and, and in this particular read you did, you talked about leaving that cast dinner and then going back to work and you had to figure out, okay, how do I change? How do I get the guacamole or whatever it was off my, and now I got to get back to the police officers on this. You know, so you got a lot going on as you're trying to parent, much like I suppose any parents in dealing with working activity, but for you, you've got to go be in front of the camera. So, um, you know, kudos to you for trying to, to make that work. How about a little writing life discussion? You'll do that? I will do anything. Yeah, I'm thrilled okay. to be here. All right. So you said in the introduction of your book, um, you, that your first book felt a little bit like a fluke that you didn't feel like a real author. Um, why is that? I just didn't, you know, I've read beautiful books my whole life. I love reading. And when you read other people's words that you love and they feel so powerful and zing with personality and you admire writers and authors so much that when you attempt your first book or maybe you still have this feeling on your 10th, I don't know, you start to question yours and what will the judge and jury think, the reader, you know, what, 
is this good enough to be published? Because you can write anything, put it on Facebook, you can put it in a secret notebook, you can write in a journal, but to make it a bound book that somebody holds, for me, was just a real, um, uh, I guess, like a, a life moment, but in the same breath, I'm like, yeah, but it's about kids. It's from Facebook. It's about my life. It's it's not a fiction novel with beautiful characters. It just felt different to me that I wasn't really an author. And I have since been scolded and told, no, Molly, you are an author of now two books and stop belittling yourself. But it was, well, it was a mental challenge and it's easy to sort of self-deprecate over that and just sort of brush it off. At least it was for me. Well, I don't think you're alone in that. I think authors have a certain natural insecurity that goes along with writing. Is it going to be any good? Are people going to like it? Uh, but from what I, you know, seeing here in the introduction, you write for more than just that. You talk about words having weight, words having power. And I think you said here, I write because it makes me feel full and happy. It's so. How much of that do you get to do on a daily basis, juggling all these other things? Well, I write a lot. It's just not stuff I love to write about. Right, know? right. So I'm talking about the happy part. The happy part. Well, I, even though, honestly, I'll be honest, is just writing even about protests or COVID-19 or creating um, something that is informational is still writing. It's still putting things together um, in, a, in a puzzle that the way I have to write is less for me, the way I have to for work, is less for me and more for public consumption and how does it help people understand what's going on in our world or our community, but it's still writing. It's still sort of figuring out how to phrase things in a certain way um, and certainly be fair and, and not politicized and how you're phrasing things for the news, but it's still finding the right words and writing. And I enjoy that, even if I don't always enjoy the things that I have to write about. And you told me that, uh, you know, writing is a part of your job that, you know, maybe all your words aren't seen, they're edited, they're cut out. Maybe they're not all necessarily good, but there's more than I think you describe it than the, than the perfect sentence. You say you're like an addict in need of a hit at moments for your writing. And that's great, I right? I am. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, it, 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 it calms me sometimes. If I don't yeah. write for a while, it just makes me feel jumpy and that sort of calms me. Well, you are a good writer, uh, Molly. I read your book. It was it was well done. Not only, not only is it well written, but you had to put a lot of thought into how to design this book and structure this book because you got a lot of photos you got a lot of responses from people there must have been a lot of work just in that part of putting this together thank you for that compliment and i um appreciate that a lot i have diana wade is a graphic designer in charlotte and i have betsy thorpe who's a great editor in charlotte and copy editor maya myers who's in charlotte i found women who have their own small businesses um can you hear the kids behind me yeah i can hear yeah. sorry, <laughs> sorry. sorry. The, ju the juggle is real the juggle is real baby um but we um you know i think the number one thing for anybody at any business that's trying to do anything is realize you're not the best and hire people and ask people for advice who are Okay, listeners, we just had a little uh, break here. Molly was going to juggle some uh, children there for a minute, and uh, <laughs> and we're so, we're we're, so we're got to hear all of me in my glory. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, but but what what I was going to ask her about was uh, what she thought about this, um, you know, as being a keepsake for down the road for your children. Um, is it going to be the kind of thing you pull out at their wedding and say, hey, look at this picture here? Or you just hope they're going to have a memory uh, maybe that uh, – because, you, you know, you can forget these things, right? Our, our minds cloud over, and if you don't write it down, 
it goes out, right? Million percent. I am doing this for them. It's like a um, scrapbook, basically, in a real book. It's a little bit more elaborate of a scrapbook. However, I don't really think I'll pull it out at their wedding. It's it's not like, oh, look at this one funny picture that I put in a public book for everybody. It's more like, remember all these stories? Because I promise you, I don't remember them until I go back and read them. When I look at Facebook, I'm like, what was month 31? Or what was month 36? Or what happened when they were four? I don't have any recollection. It's like I have amnesia. Parenting brings about amnesia. And so when I go back and look at it, then it's awesome because then it jogs your memory. And I think they'll be able to hold in some way their whole childhood and their lives decades from now. Yeah, I think, you know, there are a lot of bad things about COVID-19. Some of the things slowing down, going through old scrapbooks, organizing pictures, people can look back on their lives and see some things that, you know, they, they maybe have forgotten. And speaking of pictures, there's a picture on page 294. We're about to wrap this up here. Um, this is when the surprise announcement, I think, was made to the children about yes. Tic Tac. And, yes. and, and, and when they get your book, they've got to look at page 294 because the look on Parker's face and the way your hand is covering her mouth, it's like, oh, my gosh, my. I know. I know. <laughs> you know what's really funny about Parker? And again, she's a nine-year-old. She's my daughter. She's the oldest. She is me. And when you see yourself in a child, the good and the bad, um, she is expressive. And you know what she's thinking all over her face before she says a word. And sometimes that's expressed in photos. And with my job on camera, I have to hide that. And I've trained myself not to always express what I think or feel, obviously, just by looking at me. But she's nine. She's in third grade. She doesn't have any sort of training by that, nor should she. It's just who she is. And so I look at her sometimes and she is exactly showing on her face what I think and feel. And when I found out I was pregnant, that is exactly how I felt, but it's all over her face. And I think I know what they're looking at, but tell me, what are they holding in their hands? A sonogram. The picture sonogram. Of the yeah. And so Hutch is like, yeah, he, he's just going crazy. <laughs> but, but, here, he's like, but, but here's my question. Did you have the same look on your face that uh, Parker has on hers when you found out the news? Is a million percent, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. It's like, yes. oh my gosh. Stunned. <laughs> Stunned. But then you tell her and she reflects me, and that's there's something beautiful in there too. Okay, so I know what you think about, you know, what's coming next and how you don't know what the world is holding for what's next, but um, we know that uh, what's next is, is, is a child. Do you have any thoughts on maybe what you're going to be doing next in the writing world. Uh, are you going to write another book someday? I hope so. Uh, and I hope so. If nothing else to the last three words in this book are to be continued and yeah, yeah. to leave it hanging where I'm pregnant and you know, it's a little boy, but then there's no stories about him would not be fair to him. Um, I mean, how long would the series go? Who knows? And there's no time right now in life as you're juggling these things to write maybe some of the other things I still have in my head, fiction and, and other things. But I have so many stories happening in front of my face in real life all the time that I don't need to create stories right now because the real life of it all is pretty entertaining. So I would hope to write another book with this one. Um, I certainly can't say for sure I would, and I don't want to commit to endless stories till they're, you know, 50 years old, but I... Um, I would hope that there'd be more writing in some form or fashion in the future. Well, let's hope we see it too. You're a good writer. You can branch out and do some other things, uh, you know, maybe some fiction, like you said, but or nonfiction or whatever. You've got a lot of good plot lines that you put on TV every 
every night that are true and real, right? So very true and real. Yes. Well, Molly, I'm gonna let you get back to juggling. Um, I know you got some patient. Well, we'll we'll call them patient for the moment, right? Children in the next room, right? So, uh, yeah. Thanks so much for uh, being on Charlotte Reader's podcast. Atlantis, your podcast is great. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. Next Tuesday, we'll have another in-depth episode with readings and conversations about the written word and the writing life of a local or regional author. But before then, be on the lookout for another Under the Covers episode where we do much the same thing we do here, but quicker, and sometimes away from the studio. Because there are just too many good authors. And not enough time. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. And you can keep up with news about the show by joining our email list and engaging with us on social media. We promise not to spam you because, well, that takes too much time. And if you do join our email list, we'll give you a free ebook written by me. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. Until next week. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Now offering video visits so you can take control of your orthopedic care from the comfort of your home. Schedule online at orthocarolina.com. Ortho Carolina, you improved.